Hello, I'm Michael McMullen. Welcome once again to the World Snooker Tour podcast. There are so many players from Leicester on the tour nowadays, and here's another one of them. Tom Ford is my guest this week. Tom, thanks for dropping in. No problem, anytime. Tell me about growing up in Leicester, because I know from being there at tournaments over the last few seasons, it seems to be a massive snooker city. Loads of clubs around the place. Yeah, I mean, it all started from uh, Willie Thorne Snooker Club back in the day. Um, I think I went in there when I was about eight or nine. Um, but it was one of them, it was such a hotbed for snooker that you had so many pros in there at the time. Even all the amateurs that could just go in, pick a queue up, make 100. So um, I think it was me and Mark Selby as well. Um, we was in there as juniors. So that club helped us out no end. And um, it was the owner, Malcolm Thorne. He was um, a lot of places you had to be 14 to go and play. And I just went in one day with my dad and my dad said to Malcolm, like, I want to play. And and uh, Malcolm just said, well, here's a cue, go and hit the ball on the table. And lucky for me, I hit the ball and he let me in. So Malcolm did a lot for us as juniors as well. So I think Willie Thorns has a lot to do with why Leicester was so good. So many people pay tribute to Malcolm and what he contributed to the game. And Mark more than anyone really talks about that. So when you were growing up with him, Tom, could you tell at that stage just how good he was going to be? Um, not really, because when you're a kid, you don't think about that. Um, you're just and, having fun. Yeah, that's what we was doing. Um, we'd go to a tournament, we'd play in the tournament at Willie Thorns. Uh, we were lucky we had sort of a tournament more or less every week. Um, but like I said, we was just having fun. We was playing, practicing, going for bike rides, sleepovers, as you things that you do as kids so we wasn't taking it that serious at that stage it only become serious when we got a little bit older that we started taking it a bit more serious like getting onto the tour and things but we both did that when we was young so we didn't have time to think about anything else really everyone your sort of age who was around at that time says the junior scene was just fantastic in those days so many talented players and great friendships developed yeah um there's a there was a lot of juniors back then um I think you could go to an event and there could be, you could walk in, there could be 20 people that could win that tournament. So it was tough, um, but that's what's made us, the players that we are, that that battling and obviously especially Selby, he likes a battle. Whereas me, I get a bit fed up with it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, it's it's helped us out along the way. So like I said, Willie Thorne's snooker club, that was a big part of a lot of players' careers. Did you have significant health issues as a child? Because someone told me you spent a lot of time in hospital when you were young. When I was young, yeah. Um, they misdiagnosed me with cystic fibrosis. I spent a couple of months in the hospital, then I'd come out, then I'd go back in. But that's when I was quite young, so I, I've got vague memories of it, but not a lot. And then also I was in the hospital as well because I had, I've got eczema and it was really bad as a child. So I used to have to have my head shaved and wrapped up in bandages. So I was in hospital for that as well. So, um, but look, luckily enough, I can't really remember it that great. Um, I still remember it because I've got a fear of hospitals. Just going in, I start breaking out in sweats as soon as I go in the hospital. So I still have vague memories of it. But uh, yeah, I wasn't too good as a kid. When you said you were misdiagnosed, was there something else or was it just everything actually okay? It was Everything was pointing at uh, cystic fibrosis because I was having a lot of fluid on my lungs that um, my mum used to have to turn me on to my back as a kid and she used to have to put a hot towel on my back and sort of hit the back of my back to bring up all this like 
it was like a mucus sort of thing all around my lungs. So I used to have to try and cough that up. But um, they thought it was that to start with. And to be honest, because I was so young, I can't really remember what the outcome was. Um, I think I just sort of got over it. I don't know. Um, that's something I'd have to ask my mum and find out, to be honest. You put any difficulties behind you to make it on to the professional circuit about 20 years ago. Now, not a great time to be turning pro, though, was it? Anyone who was coming through in those days says you were basically just playing part-time and it was very hard to establish yourself because there were just so few tournaments. Yeah, um, I think the first time I got on the tour, I think I was 16, and then um, I got on the tour and there was 128 players. And when I got onto the tour, I had one season, but they cut the tour from 128 to 96, I think. So it was almost impossible to try and stay on in one year, so I fell off. Then got straight back on again. But then to try and stay on, I think we only had about six events of the year. So it was really tough. So I was working a lot in between. What were you doing? Um, Anything, really. Um, I worked in O'Reilly's for a while because my friend was the manager there. Um, So I was working behind the bar. Um, and then sometimes in the summer when I didn't have any events on, I just went into, went into my friend's workplace. He's got an agency. Um, so I went and seen him and just said, listen, I've got three months. I'm not doing anything. I'll do whatever. Um, I did order picking like to the top trumps cards, put them in. I did order picking for putting garage doors on trolleys. I even worked for my friend doing landscape gardening. Mm. So you've got to do what you've got to do. If I didn't want to be one of them people that sits at home trying to sponge off my mum and dad. I always wanted to make sure I've got money in my own pocket and I didn't want anybody else having to pay for me all the time. So I always tried to pay for myself. Um, Even as a junior, my dad would put me into an event. If I won any money, I kept that and I put myself into the next event. Or if I needed some food at the club instead of my dad paying, I knew I had money in my pocket, so I paid it myself. So I've always tried to be independent that way. Um, I just think there's too many... There's too many kids today that have got it too easy. And that's why they're not doing as well as I think they can do. Because they're just expecting everybody else to pay. If they go out and get a job, go and work for two months, then you'll realise how hard it is and you'll realise you want to play snooker. And that would most likely give them the drive then. Whereas years ago, we all had the drive that we had to go and work because we couldn't just sponge. Um, So I think that's... a a lot of it today is why a lot of the kids just expect it to come. Well, go and get a job for two months, realise how difficult that is, then you'll appreciate potting balls. Um, and I think they'll improve a lot quicker. You're talking about good, honest work as well, aren't you? Landscape gardening, that's hard it, labour. It was tough. Um, it was tough. But do you know what? I think that was my favourite job I had. Um, I'll never forget working for my friend. He was sitting in the van and I was out on the muddy bank uh, absolutely lashing it down and falling over and he's just laughing at me but it was his business so he could do what he wanted but no I enjoyed it and do you know what I slept at night time yeah absolutely so when did you start to feel like you'd established yourself as a professional snooker player that you fitted in in terms of your standard and you were good enough to actually make a proper living out of this I think I stopped working when I was about because I was sort of working full-time at Riley's I was doing a shift from I think it was five o'clock till twelve o'clock at night, and then I was practicing afterwards. And then so you'd I, start practicing at midnight. Yeah, I'd start practicing at midnight. Um, so through the night to the dawn? No, no, I've never been one for practicing to be <laughs> honest. Um, I started just for a couple of hours after my shift, um, and then any time I had a tournament, my friend would always give me the time off. 
but then I started to play a little bit better when I was about 19, 20, and then I've ended up quitting the job and just took it full time from there, really. So you started to make an impact and you got to your first final in 2016, the Paul Hunter Classic. And you're in the final against Mark Selby. Incredible that you arrive at that stage having grown up with him. So what are your memories of that? It was only best of seven, so you didn't have much time to settle in. And obviously he was very experienced in terms of playing in finals. Yeah, um, this always comes up actually when people say, obviously, uh, I've not won a ranking event and stuff. Whereas uh, we had some PTC uh, tournaments a few years ago. We used to do really well in those. And uh, they were all ranking points. Mm. And I won two of them, so they were ranking events. But because we don't have them anymore, they're not classing them. But this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because... As you say, you were getting ranking points for them. And those tournaments, some of them have stayed on now. Same format, yeah. and they're called ranking events. So in your head, and I think it would be quite reasonable if you did, do you see yourself as a ranking event winner? Um, I do, yeah. Um, because they were best of sevens. Everybody was in them. Just because the prize money wasn't as big, every single player was in them. It's exactly the same format as, say, Gibraltar is now. And uh, that's a ranking event. Gibraltar. Um, what else have we got? The Paul Hunter. Um, I think Latvia, India, it's all the same format. All the players was in them, but just because we don't have the events anymore, um, they're not classing them as ranking events. Um, but to be honest, for me, to say a proper ranking event, I think a proper ranking event's got to be at least the best of nine. So um, when people can say, right, yeah, I've won one, uh, it'd be nice to say, yes, I've won one, but a best of nine event. Um but don't get me wrong, the best of sevens are still hard to win. But yeah, when I was playing Mark in that final in uh, the Paul Hunter, I started playing and then I thought, do you know what, if I win this, I'll get in the champion of champions. As soon as I thought that, I couldn't pot the ball. <laughs> so, Is that during the match, you think? Yeah, yeah, during the match, yeah. I just thought, oh, if I win this, I get in the champion of champions. And then I just went to pot, to be honest. What are your memories then of those PTC events that you won? Because that format really seemed to work for you. Yeah, um, anyone that knows me and has watched me knows if I miss a ball, I start winding myself up. I think in that format, because it's so short, that I've not got long to wind myself up. <laughs> so if I played in the best of 19, I've got a few hours. So um, I sometimes struggle with a longer format because I've got longer to wind myself up. Um, so I think that's most likely why, to be honest. One tournament where the matches are not short, they're best of 11, is the UK Championship. And in 2018, you were really in the spotlight there. You went on a great run, got to the semi-final, played Ronnie O'Sullivan. You won the opening frame, but then he took the next six. Do you feel maybe we didn't see the best of you that day? I was terrible all week. Um, If you ask anyone that I played in that tournament, they played bad as well. And I don't know how I got to the semis, to be honest. Um... I think the players I've played, if you went back and said to them, how did the match go? They would most likely turn around and say the same, it was terrible. So when I come up against Ronnie in the semis, yeah, I had a good first frame, but I knew I wasn't playing great. So it just showed when Ronnie took his foot off the gas, he just steamrolled over me. You've been in about half a dozen ranking semi-finals in total. We mentioned the Paul Hunter Classic. That only includes ones that are full ranking events. If we add in the PTCs, it would probably be more than that. But you look back on some of those. I know you went to a decider against Neil Robertson in Ireland. Are there any semi-finals you look back on and think, oh, I should have got to the final there? Um, um, not really, because like I say, it's, it's one of them. If there's, no, there's a big word if. If I potted that ball, then... 
I would have been in it. But other people could be thinking the same. So I try not to look back on matches, to be honest. Let's come to the quickfire round, which is where I throw just a few subjects at you and you just say whatever comes into your mind. So this is where I get in trouble, is it? No, well, hopefully <laughs> not. No, this is really just a bit of fun. Your favourite movie? Oh, do you know what? I watched a good one last night, actually. An old one called Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze in. That's quite a good one. Players you would go on a night out with? Um, there's only a few, to be fair. <laughs> there's uh, be Stephen Maguire... Mark Allen, Ricky Walden, Louis Heathcote, which is from Leicester. And um, you've got a few more, but they're the main ones, really, I'd go out with. Your favourite music? Listen to anything, really. Um, I used to be into sort of a dance music when I was younger, going out. But I'll listen to anything. When you say dance music, are we talking the 90s Euro dance kind of scene, that sort of thing? Um, yeah, but when I was younger, it used to be a little bit harder than that, sort of like soft trance and things like that. Okay. Um, but... Now I'll just listen to anything, really. Your perfect day off? That's oh, got to be in the pub. <laughs> and the best you've ever played in a match? That's a difficult one. Um, do you know what? I, I couldn't even tell you. Well, let's lead on from that, actually, because maybe the reason it's so difficult is because you're one of those players who, when you play well, you tend to play really, really well. You've had so many performances where you've just reeled off frames with heavy scoring, one frame after another. So, do you agree with that, that your best is really, really good? And if so, is it frustrating that it maybe doesn't come out a bit more often? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I played well in the UK a couple of years ago, or might have been last year. I played well in my first round. I think I beat, um, might have been one of the Thai boys or the Chinese lads. I can't remember who I played, but I think I won... 6-0 6-0 or 6-1 and I think out of them 6 frames I think the lowest break I had was something like 80 or 90 so um, I reeled off quite a few frames there but it's just if I start winding myself up I mean I've been trying to work on that um, where I know what I can do but it's just going out there and doing it I suppose a lot of people are like that they know what they can do in practice it's just trying to put it onto the match table Seems to be an East Midlands thing because Michael Holt is another really talented player who on his day can play really, really well. But he says he gets in his own way as well. So is it something you, you've worked on at all? Have you tried to speak to anyone about that? Yeah, I've been working with um, with a lady from Loughborough called Sabrina Francis. And um, I've been working with her and things have been going all right. Um, I still have the odd game where I wind myself up and I sort of fly off the handle a little bit. I try not to put my opponents off. It's nothing to do with them. Um, I mean, people might say, oh, I'm putting them off. Do you know what? They want me to wind myself up because they know they've got me. So I'm not trying to wind the other people up. I'm just getting the ump with myself. And obviously, if I am putting the other people off, then I apologise. I don't mean to. Um, but as soon as they see me getting wound up, they've got the upper hand straight away. It's in the hands of Tom Ford. He needs this black... And he follows up a win over John Higgins with one over Judd Trump. And in it goes. The defending champion is out here. Look back on a couple of key mistakes in the deciding frame. In the end, Tom Ford held his nerve really well to close it out. And his journey through this World Grand Prix continues. He beats Judd Trump. Here's a little quiz for you. And again, this is just some fun. I'm going to read you a list of players and I want you to tell me who's the missing name on this list. Ronnie O'Sullivan, John Higgins, Stephen Hendry, Stuart Bingham, Ding Junhui, Sean Murphy, Judd Trump. There's one player missing from that list. Do you know who it is? 
You're asking me snooker questions. I have not got a clue. Well, I'll tell um, you. The answer is Tom Ford, because they are the only players to have made five maximums or more in professional competition. That's a great company to be in. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? It's only five frames, but uh, I'll take that. It's, I didn't realise Judd had made five as well. So why has that been the case? I mean, you seem to... We see players all the time having chances of maximums, but they don't make it. But you've done five of them. So it must be a thing that maybe it doesn't phase you as much as perhaps it does others. And it chimes in with what we were saying, that when you play well, you play really well. Yeah, um, I think it's just in and around the black that I've always felt pretty good and feel pretty confident. Um, I play with... I seem to play with quite a lot of side as well. So sometimes if I'm the wrong side of the black, it's not a problem for me to put the opposite side on, um, which I find that quite comfortable and I can do that pretty easy. Um, so when I'm around the black, that's sort of where I feel comfortable, where I feel at home. But no, don't get me wrong, it's still a lot of pressure when you're on a maximum. Sometimes I think, do you know what, just go up for the blue so you've not got that extra pressure. But if you keep landing on the black, then obviously you've got, got to keep potting it, haven't you? Tell me about your overall assessment then, Tom, at this stage of your career. Because you've probably got a lot of years ahead of you, but at this point, how would you sum up what you've done so far? Well, I know I'm not a practicer, so I know I've got to put a bit more effort in. The only trouble is if I was to put some more effort in, I'd most likely end up giving up the game. So there's a fine line of what I've got to do. And what is that? Are there other things in your life that you'd rather spend the time on? I just don't enjoy the game as much as everybody else. Um, You see all the others, they eat, breathe and sleep snooker. That's all they do. Um, I just need to get away from it. Um, I mean, some of the snooker questions that you could ask me snooker questions today, I wouldn't have a clue because as soon as I've finished, I'm out there and I put the football on or I just try and get away. But um, now I'm happy with sort of what I've done. Yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that I could have done better. But if somebody said to me, you could go back 20 years ago and do it all again, would I do anything different? No. Because I'm married, I've got a child, I've got a nice house, a little bit of money in the bank. Now, if I was to change everything and go back and do it all again, would I have gone out and met my wife in a nightclub? Most likely not. Would I have had my child? Most likely not, because I wouldn't have met my wife there. So I think things happen for a reason. I've always been a big believer things happen for a reason. And if I had to sacrifice everything I've got now to go back and do it again, then I wouldn't. Was it a case that you just found a real talent for the game at an early age, rather than being someone like, say, Mark, who obviously has plenty of talent but really, really worked at his game, that you just found it was something you were good at and it's just gone on from there? Yeah, um, I could say I've been lucky because I've got the talent to do it. Um, So maybe I don't practice as much. So maybe I could have said, hopefully I didn't have the talent that I've got and the I had to work at it a bit more because then I would have. Um, so I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, to be honest. Do you think maybe you just don't have that much ambition? Which is fine if that's the way you are. Um, I'm not prepared to sacrifice everything just for a bit of money, to be honest. Um, because to me, money's not everything. But what um, about winning titles and that? Does that motivate you? The prospect of maybe having that full week-long ranking event with you as the winner at the end of it? It's only just been recently since I've had my child. Well, he's six now. He's starting to understand things, and he's told me this week that he doesn't want to see me until the weekend. So it's um, it's things like that that sort of inspire me a little bit more now. That To me, everyone sort of says, I don't know what's wrong with you, but a trophy is just a bit of plastic to me. But that would be special, wouldn't it, if you could have a picture with your kid holding a trophy? What a memory that would be to share. 
Yeah, um, yeah, it would be a nice memory. Um, then also, if I was to try and put all that effort in and try and sacrifice everything to get that, then I'd never be at home. So do I miss out on the early years of my child growing up and then say, oh, look, mate, I've got a trophy, come and have a picture with me, or do I spend, try my hardest as it is and still be with my son as well? It's a tough one because, like I said, I don't enjoy the game as much as everybody else does. Um, I'm not a massive practice uh, player, so I just try and do what I can. And I know that if I have been practising and I feel good, then I know I can go on and do well. But um, it's just a thin line that how much practising I can do to what I then can do in matches. Was there a time when you enjoyed it more? We were talking about those fun days as a kid. Did you enjoy it a lot more then? Do you know what? I never used to practise that much as a child as well. Um, I remember finishing school, getting on the running for the bus straight straight away from school, getting on that, going into town, walking into Willie Thorns, and I'd get in around about half past three. And we had to come off the tables at about seven o'clock because we got sort of free tables until seven. And I remember... If I played from three to half three till seven, I was doing really well. So even then, as a kid, I never used to practice that much. We've been sitting in the press room at one of the tournaments recently, talking about who's the best player not to have won a match at the Crucible yet. And don't worry, it's not another quiz question. <laughs> but the reason I bring it up is because we were speculating it might be you. You've been to the Crucible four times, haven't got past the first round yet. But it's not as if you've gone there and played badly, because you've actually played Judd in the first round a couple of times and nearly beat him in both of them. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to get an easy round at the Crucible because you was playing top 16 player. So I think it's been Judd, Mark Allen, Neil Robertson, I think. No, Barry Hawkins. Barry sorry. Hawkins, yeah. And, um, I mean... I've been pro for that many years now and been in the top 32 for so many years and I've only been there four times. Um, and that's most of telling you why with the longer matches. Like I said earlier, I'm most of winding myself up and putting too much pressure on myself. So it's always going to be tough playing them players at the Crucible because they're so used to it as well. So you've got to go there and play well. Um, just hopefully this year I can go there and win that first match. You played Judd in the unusual World Championship, shall we say, when there weren't crowds, although there was some crowd there on the first day when obviously you had that match because he was the defending champion. Now, that was an era when there weren't people at tournaments, everything was being done in a bubble, and you spoke about how difficult you actually found that. Yeah, it didn't bother me at first. I was just saying, get on with it, it is what it is. But then after a while, I think it was going to tournaments and... You had to stay in your room and if you went for a practice, you you had to sit at a table if you wasn't practising and you couldn't be near anyone. No one else could go into your room and I did find it difficult, very difficult, um, to the point where I think it was at Celtic Manor. I was playing Kyron Wilson, beat Kyron. I can't remember what tournament it was. Um, I beat Kyron, phoned my wife, said, listen, I just don't want to be here. Um, and then I've ended up playing the next match. I beat um, Jack Lazowski. And I remember going into my room and uh, spoke to my wife at the time and I just said, listen, I don't want to be in. I've just broke down in tears. Uh, I didn't know what it was. I can speak about it now, but I couldn't speak about it at the time. And uh, I didn't know what it was and I was just I was just in tears in my room thinking about things. I didn't even want to be there. Just in person as well, I didn't want to be there, so I was having some bad thoughts. And then um, I remember I had to go out and play Mark Williams the next day. And I was playing Mark and... I think he started it, I think he's gone one or two nil, two nil up. 
I've just sat in my chair and the cameras are on me and I didn't realise that I've just broke into tears in my chair. I've tried to look away, but I think the cameras caught me, um, which a few people then sort of messaged me asking if I was all right. But it was tough. It was some dark days, to be honest. Um, but I think everyone suffered with that. I mean, I'm one of them people that I'm normally around people, just having a laugh, having a, having a drink with them. And I just sort of need them people around me. So when I was on my own isolated and even going away knowing that some of my snooker friends are there being isolated again and I just didn't know what was going on so I found it really tough if someone had said to all of us there's going to be this time when COVID is going to happen and it's going to be a year from now it's going to last this period of time yes it would have been tough for all of us but we could have maybe prepared ourselves and coped with it a bit better and I think that was perhaps the hardest part of it for a lot of us was we had never imagined life would be that way. Yeah, um, it surprised me the way I was because I've always been one of them, things happen for a reason and you just get on with it. It is what it is, there's nothing you can do. But like I said, I just didn't know what it was. Um, even to this day, I still didn't know what it was. I didn't speak to anyone. Um, I didn't go and see anybody. I just thought I'm sort of a little bit old-fashioned where I think I've been brought up that way that you don't talk about these things, you just get on with it and you'll be all right. So I don't know what would have helped, to be honest, at that time. But do you feel now you've sorted everything out and you're yeah. in a good place yet? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, especially with things moving forward as well with COVID. So. But no, I've been there. And so if anybody obviously struggles with that sort of thing, I know how it is. Um, so obviously it is tough, but you do need to speak to somebody, but it's getting that right person that can understand where you've been. Um, so... No, it is tough, but people do get through it. And when you have normal times on tour, do you enjoy the life of being on the circuit or do you miss home a lot? Um, it's weird because, I'm yeah, I miss I miss home. Um, but then I get home and my little one wants shut up. So I want to go away again. <laughs> it just drives me <laughs> we mad. We all relate to that a bit. Yeah, yeah, it just drives me absolutely nuts. So, yeah, I miss him when I'm away. I miss my wife when I'm away. And it's... Uh, don't get me wrong, I look forward to going to tournaments and going abroad and new places, but then as soon as I get there, I think, oh, I just want to be at home again. So I, nothing wins, to be honest. But like I said, it's uh, I've started to try and enjoy it a bit more now. When you get to your 40s, Tom, and you start to feel maybe... Uh, it's, not there yet. I know, that's yet. why I said when you do get to your 40s. Do you think you might have thoughts of, okay, it's just a few more years, let's make one last push, and you might finally start practising to the extent that you know you, you need to? Do you know what? I think it's going to be one of them. I think I'll only start practising when I've got the game up. Um, <laughs> and then you'll be playing for fun again. Yeah, maybe. Um, to be honest, I I think when I finish playing, I won't be picking up a snooker queue again. Um, I might pick up a pool queue and have a game with the lads, but like I said, the enjoyment, the enjoyment's never really been there like some of them. Some of them will go, sl- go sleep at night time. They must like dream about having a game of snooker. And then they wake up and they can't wait to get to the club. I'm the opposite. So for me to try and get that love of the game, it's always going to be difficult. And what might lie ahead for you? Because that's a long way off. You're still a very good player, very capable of turning in great performances. So you've got many years left on the tour, I would expect. How good do you think you can be? Are you happy enough with the level you've got to? Or can you still um, have your best days to come? No, I, th- I still think I could have my best days to come because I'm not as... Not as silly round the table as I used to be, but um, what do you mean by that? Just in terms of shot just, selection, that's yeah. Sort of just a, sometimes when I was a bit younger, I could be a bit erratic around the table. Whereas uh, 
I'd like to go from a little bit too much now is when you get a little bit older you sort of you see them shots still and you think do you know what just be a bit more sensible so hopefully I can sort of bring that into it a little bit more and I'd like to push towards top 16 just to get in the Masters um, I'd like to play at the Masters but like I say, it's tough there's a lot of other people out there trying to do the same thing in times you've not been far away from the 16 so it's very realistic to think you could do it yeah one day hopefully and then um, like I said I've never been to the Masters I've never even gone down to watch because I'm thinking well if I'm going to be there then I might as well be playing there not watching well let's see if it happens one of these days soon Tom it's been really interesting sitting down for a chat with you and all the best for the future and thanks very much for joining us on the World Snooker Tour podcast cheers thank you Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, I'll be talking to Ricky Walden about his days as a serial ranking event winner, the major back problems and decline which followed, and the great revival he's been enjoying this season. Among the successes to reflect on will be his very unexpected run to the title in Shanghai 14 years ago. When I was down to the last four, I had it in my mind. I was playing Selbs in the semi and I just thought, Obviously, this is a big game. Selbs is a great player and stuff, but I just thought, yeah, it's, it's it's a winnable game for me. And if only I can make the final, then I've got got a chance. So the semi-final sort of changed for me when I, when I beat Davis in the quarters. I felt a lot of pressure in that game, and uh, yeah, I felt like I could uh, I could go on and, and do something from that point, really. So that's coming up next week on the World Snooker Tour podcast, and don't forget to check out our bonus content, the One Four Seven, rounding up the week's snooker headlines in 147 seconds, out every Tuesday. Until then, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.